Hello, 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 lovelies. This is Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I am back for another episode of Curvy Geeky Fangirl Recaps, aka CGF Recaps, because sometimes I get lazy and don't want to spell out all of Curvy Geeky Fangirl, just so you know. So that's out there. Um, as always, you can find me at curvygeekyfangirl.com. That is where I do all of my fangirly fandom fashions that I post. I also post up links to other works. I do a collaboration with fanbros.com. I'm also doing this podcast, which you can find all over the place now. I am on Instagram. Well, the podcast is not on Instagram, but you can find me socially on Instagram and Twitter under Curvy Geeky Fangirl. Twitter gets interesting in spelling. Fangirl is missing the A and the I, so the vowels, because character limits. But you can find all of this through the website. And you can find this podcast on the Anchor app. And that's how you guys can also reach back to me if you have the Anchor app. It lets you do responses, like recorded responses. So if you guys feel the knack to like have an actual verbal communication with me, I will post it in this podcast. So I'm just saying, that's an option. I'm also on iTunes, Google Play Music, and Pocket Cast. And now I'm on Stitcher because fancy. And I also figured out how to get it on Stitcher. More kudos to me. So on all of these things, you can rate, comment, and subscribe about this podcast. I'd love to hear from you guys. It'd be fantastic. And also, uh, if you want, we can even talk to each other on Twitter. Uh, you can just hit me up. You can tag, do a hashtag CGF recaps, and we can talk about all the shows that we're catching, if you're watching the same show as I am, and kind of go from there. I'm trying to have a bigger conversation with everyone, you know? I'm trying to get out there, spread these wings, talk with some people, some fellow geeks, get their perspective on things. Because it's always interesting. I love these types of conversations because A, I'm invested. I'm passionate about these topics, about fictional characters and what they're doing with their lives. I am, I'm very invested in them. So if you get the chance, check out all of those places and try to hit your girl up. I would love to have the conversations. So as I said, I'll be doing this new podcast for this week, recapping the latest TV, film, and whatever else I've caught throughout the week. This past week was interesting, guys. So I caught the TV shows that I usually watch, which include Legends of Tomorrow, The Flash, Black Lightning, Magicians. I also caught the film Love, Simon. I'll be touching on as well. And I also caught the Netflix series On My Block. On My Block isn't technically a geek show. So it's not talking about superheroes. It's not talking about, uh, you know, stereotypical geek culture. But man, is it interesting. Same thing with Love, Simon. Not really a technically a geek-esque type show, but very interesting perspective that they're bringing onto these screens. So I'm going to be touching on them because I caught them as well. So that's happening. And uh, I go heavy into spoilers for everything. So if you haven't seen any of these TV shows I'm talking about or the movie and you don't like spoilers, I love spoilers. They do not scare me. But I understand if you want to keep things pure, if you're trying to go in without, you know, other added knowledge into whatever it is that you're about to watch, completely understandable. Pause this here. Go watch the stuff. Come back. Listen. And then add your perspective. I'm just saying is an option because I will be going into heavy, heavy spoilers. So that is the disclaimer that you're getting right now. So... I'm about to start. We're going to kick it off with Legends of Tomorrow like we always kick it off with. Ooh, I have some things to say about Legends of Tomorrow. 
So stay tuned for that right after this. All right, so I'm doing, again, I'm testing out these little transition pieces. Let, let me know what you guys think of all these transition pieces. I think I've only used the same one maybe twice in the, in the short lifespan that I've been doing these podcasts. So I kind of like this one. Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. Hashtag CGF recaps. All right, so we're going to get into Legends of Tomorrow. Okay, so here we go. So, okay, Legends of Tomorrow, as anybody who watches it continuously, knows is a cheesy campy show it's a cheesy campy show it that's just what it is and i don't hate it for that i love that it keeps this like blind optimism uh in its show that's probably why ray is my favorite character uh speaking of ray i didn't know that the lady who plays nora is actually his wife so that was interesting and makes a lot more sense as to why they threw in that ray's got a thing for nora storyline makes a little bit more sense cool Okay, uh, other than that. So uh, Legends this time uh, decided to, to expand their storyline. They went and actually talked about the Spirit Stone or the Death Stone. That's right, or not Stone, Totem. Because Amaya has a Spirit Totem, which brings out animals for some reason. And then we have a Death Totem now. Oh, okay, let me just get into it. So uh, apparently uh, my takeaways from it is that really, really Elvis Presley is gonna be a Totem Bearer? Okay. Really? Elvis Presley? What? Who? How was this storyboarded? I just have a thousand and ten questions about this. So many things. So many things. So they're trying to say, or I guess they touched on Elvis Presley being the king of rock and roll. And the tie-in was that Elvis also, you know, suffered loss. He had a twin brother that passed. And in discovering this guitar, which they also name dropped Robert Johnson as well, it, 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 it just, it felt like somebody who's clearly a fan of Elvis and I guess rock music in general, just kind of threw this all in there and decided to tie it to this death totem. It is a stretch to ask for logic when it comes to Legends of Tomorrow because that's not, it's not gonna happen. But this was a little far for me. Like, I just, I just didn't understand why we had to tie in Elvis Presley, of all people, into this. And then it, uh, it just, first of all, because you didn't know, uh, Elvis Presley, nicknamed King of Rock and Roll and, and whatever, heavily appropriated from black music in order to be the star that he was. That's not to say that he doesn't have his own talent. That's not to say that he wasn't instrumental in shaping music as it is today. But it is saying that a lot of his accolades and accomplishments were on the shoulders of a lot of other people. And the show kind of touched on that, but not really, which also kind of eh, is, again, it's par for the course for the show. They did a slavery episode. Oh, God, that was, oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, it gets to a point where you're like, is it helpful? Like when you do stuff like this, do you think you're shedding light on anything or is it to touch on something? Is it, okay, so Chuck Berry will forever be my king of rock and roll. That That's who I'm gonna put that credit to. I'm not discounting Elvis's legacy. He had, he had to have some kind of skill to be at the height that he was at. I'm just saying, uh, I think Chuck Berry is the one that accomplished it though, so. 
that's happening. And like I said, they also touched on Robert Johnson. So if, uh, if that name is new to you or you have no idea what that's about, that's a blues singer. He was a black blues singer who played amazingly. And the legend around him and what he said himself was that he sold his soul to learn how to play the guitar. And that's why he played so well. And then the tragedy is that he also died very young. And it, but it kind of fed into his legend that he did this and was cursed. And, and that was the result of that. I'm not sure why. That got thrown in at the beginning, though, in regards to this death stone. I mean, I guess they're trying to set up that crazy things happen around this guitar that's got the totem. I keep saying stone, but totem. But I don't, I don't know why we had to name drop Robert Johnson and then go into Elvis Presley. But whatever. Maybe, maybe there's a real life tie between those two. I don't know. So that's happening. Um, the lip syncing was painfully obvious. So that was. Also something else we were contending with. This poor kid who they got to be Elvis, it was clearly apparent that they were like, no, we're just going to either. No, there's no way they used actual recording of Elvis because that would cost a lot of money. So clearly they got somebody who sounded like Elvis to do this. And it was not that kid that was happening. And I don't know why we needed it. So also happening. But we did get the last totem. We know the mysterious totem. It's related to death for some reason. Uh, the ghosts that come out of this totem, hilarious. They very much fell in sync with the overall theme of Pac-Man that they kept pushing with the Wally and Zari storyline. They absolutely looked like those ghosts. Like it was, it, mm, ooh, budgets, budgets. What else? We also had, oh, Elvis uh, telling everybody. Oh, the quote I took away was that Elvis saying, ghosts don't want anything but to be acknowledged. Where did he get this? You, I mean, he says it like he's been dealing with ghosts his whole life. Like he knows the reality of things. Literally, like when they get there, it's been like maybe a couple days since he's picked up this guitar and he didn't even clue in that it was tied to like some kind of supernatural entity. But now he's all like with sage advice and just like, oh yes, they just need to be acknowledged and I know how to take care of them. You brought them out in the first place. Anyway, okay. And then Oh, I also found it very interesting. They kind of glossed over the heavy racism that they should have been experiencing being in the South. They're in Memphis, Tennessee with Wally. I guess you could say Zari, even though she she would be passing unless I don't, unless she was just announcing her different religion. Uh, and also with Amaya, Mike. I mean, they again, they touched on it with them being at the church and the churchgoers kind of giving them side eye and looking at them crazily. But they more glossed it like, oh, they're out. They're like newcomers. They're out of towners who are now encroaching on our space here in this church more than why are these two black people here? So and and no one saying anything with uh, black people just, you know, walking around freely and sharing space with other white folks like. All right. Show. Sure. We're going to pretend like that didn't happen as a thing. Segregation wasn't required anyway. Um, and then who we just had a lot of of Nate really annoying me. That's, oh, God, oh. legends, legends. Okay, so speaking of which, one of the things I wanted to point out uh, was was Nate just like continually talking about the spirit of rock and roll, like all the time, all over the place. When Elvis gets ready to play at, the, at this black club, honky tonk. I don't know what this place was, but Elvis is about to perform and it's an all black crowd. And Nate makes it a point to talk about how it's all black owned businesses that were first making this sound. And, you know, and Elvis was being really was, you know, was heavily influenced by them. 
I can totally stealing from them. But anyway, um, he talks about how like they, you know, embodied the spirit of rock and roll. They they created it. They created it. That the sound is theirs. Nate, shut up. Shut up, Nate. Anyway, that was happening with ugh, just oh, Nate's the worst. And then, <laughs> then we also got what else do we this show, I mean, this episode just it wasn't out of sync with Legends. It really wasn't. I just did not like it. I did not understand why we needed this like very clumsy, haphazardly situation to find out this totem. We couldn't have done anything else but this. Really? Ugh. Ugh. Good things, positives. I did love seeing Wally with the Legends. Seeing Wally with the Legends was adorable. Seeing his interactions with Zari, you know he's just going to annoy the heck out of her, but it's going to be great to watch. I love the camaraderie between the two and her kind of really schooling him. Like, you look, I'm, we know you're great at what you're doing, but we need you to be precise rather than like just going for it, which I feel is a lesson the show itself should take away. Moi, so, but that was a positive. I also loved Mick's little side storyline because I felt like it was really touching on the truth. Mick is a semi-reformed criminal. And he's basically been growing the most by having this like stable ecosystem of his with the legends and the ship and and having this nor normalcy-ish type of thing on a day-to-day. -day. And it has been changing a lot. Stark died, uh, you know, Stein died, Jax left. Kendra, who was the hot girl from the first season, she also left. And he's just been, you know, they took Nate in. He's brand new. Amaya came in, also new. Sorry, came in, also new. Like it's been, it's been a pretty big change up for him. So I, I, I like that they touched on it, and it did make sense. And poor Axel, oh, Axel passed. And I remember seeing Axel previously, but he was never like a heavy rotated member or even talked about that much. And then he passed. And I don't know if he had passed for real or not, but we got that little memoriam at the end. So all of that, all of that's going down. I like these little side stories we get of Mick. I feel like it helps shape him a lot more because otherwise he's just like this growly, grumpy guy who steals stuff. So that's pretty much it. But um, yeah, all, all of that rambling is pretty much what happened with Legends. And it's just, I... Uh, just, ugh, just, ugh. I could have done without this episode. I probably could have skipped it entirely and just been like, oh, they got the, the next totem. It's a death totem. Cool. And then just kept it moving. Like, I didn't need all this. So, but that's, that's me. Let me know if you loved this episode. If it was like one of your favorites, because it was terrible for me. <laughs> I, didn't, I did not like it. I did not like it. So hopefully we'll get to see what else is happening. So Legends is going to be coming back. Oh, I believe next, I believe next week. I don't think they're going on hiatus. So Ooh, hopefully it picks up. Hopefully we get a little more story. Like I said, we're nearing the end and hopefully, hopefully we get some sort of resolution to everything that's been building. So we will see. So after this, I will be talking about the flash, which is oh, leaps and bounds better than legends of tomorrow. Right after this. Okay. So the flash. Uh, okay, it's back, and we got Digby back. Hooray! Ralph Digby is back, uh, but that's pretty much the highlight of it is that he's just back. Everything else was sad for him. But uh, let's get into my takeaways. So, Iris saving the day again. So, in the last episode, 
she did a good job of trying to save the day. She thought out the box and figured out how to stop, you know, the world from exploding. Appreciated. And then we get Iris again as a, she really wasn't a focus of the last one, but she's another person. Who, she's the person who saves the day again. And uh, she becomes a speedster. So basically there is, they found the next meta, the meta from the bus. And it is a gentleman. I want to say his last name was Ken. You know, I totally forgot his real name. I just know him as Melting Pod now. So, uh, but it's played by Leonard Nam. Le- oh, I'm sorry, Leonardo Lamb, who is uh, the best. I know him from Perfect Score. If you guys remember that show coming out, he played a hard stoner. Hilarious. And now he might be an Asian superhero in The Flash. Excited. So that's a separate takeaway. Back to Iris, though. She, I love that she had a purple speedster color. That was awesome and adorable. Her mask was insane. Um, I don't understand why that little mask that covers like just her eyes would be enough to conceal her identity. Really? Really? She's a semi-known reporter for a while there before she quits. I I think they would put two and two together. Anyway, so we're going to believe that that was enough. That was enough to conceal her identity. Um, For someone who only had these powers and like practice with them for a few days, I thought her bounce back was amazing. She was able to like do these tips and tricks that Barry had to like, it took him a while to get to get down and she was doing them within days. I thought that was pretty amazing. And I think they should have acknowledged that because what also, she seems to be uh, on the track to return to her blogger days. Uh, if you remember from season one, everybody, she that's what she started out doing. She was trying to be a reporter. And then on the side, she was talking about, you know, the, the blur and doing this blog post about it. And then she kind of stepped away from all of that. And they made it sound like, you know, she was distracted by everything Team Flash was doing. We all know the writers were tired of putting her into an actual career. So she became just mainly focused on Team Flash. And now she's kind of getting back into blogging. So we'll see where that goes. We all know it's not gonna really go anywhere. So <coughs> that's happening as a thing. Um, like I said, back to uh, Leonardo Lamb, our Nam. I'm super excited uh, about this uh, new diverse inclusion. So far in the superhero narratives that we've seen, uh, especially when it comes to representation, there hasn't been a whole lot of people of color that have stepped out with actual abilities. I mean, we've got the Avengers and and yes, we have some black superheroes like Falcon and War Machine and definitely Black Panther, all of the Black Panther goodness. Uh, but outside of that, there's not much, if any, if any. I mean, we have Cisco, and, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's it, just Cisco. I mean, we got his girlfriend for a little bit and I, for right now, the life of me, can't remember what it was. It's late right now, so. My rambling's gonna be even worse than usual. But but she also, I wanna say she's also Latinx and her dad definitely is Mexican. So but that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. I mean, the other shows tend to enlarge that pool a lot more, but this is the first time I've ever seen an Asian superhero on any of the shows. So I'm very excited to see where that goes. I'm excited if Leonardo Nam character is going to get a bigger story or a bigger arc. We're going to learn more about him. Is he going to stick around? I'm excited. Or is he going to get taken immediately by DeVoe, like the country singer? I don't know. Future will tell. Here's hoping he sticks around, though. He is 
fantastic to watch. I think he does such a great job. So I'm definitely hoping that he's going to stick around and doesn't uh, immediately get sucked up. I was not feeling this Ralph Digby scared shitless story arc that we got. I mean, I mean, on the one hand, I can kind of see the logic in that, like him being really shaken from A, facing off with DeVoe and seeing this girl that he kind of was clicking with and liking get taken away from him, like almost easily. Like they were really powerless to do anything to stop DeVoe. But I don't understand why this would make him a hermit at Star Labs. Like he didn't want to go out anywhere. He was just mad, bitter and complaining about everything. And really giving Iris a hard time for some reason. And I understand that it fed into her overall story as to how, like, you know, her being a speedster was going to not resolve it, but, you know, give her a peek into what it is they do on a daily basis while she's, you know, handling them, the main boards or the, the comms, as they say. But did we really need him to be this scared and depressed in order for that story to go? I don't know. But we got that. And then they kind of, they give him a lot of pep talks. Digby gets a lot of speeches. And then he ultimately just, you know, comes to the realization that everybody who's talking to him like this is correct. And then tries to move forward with that. But he's getting a lot of speeches. So hopefully they don't continue to use that as a crutch for the show. Like, oh, well, let's also teach him this. I'm like, mm, okay. He's also still a grown adult. So I'm hoping that he's learned some things already. So we'll see. I will say that um, I was a little disappointed that we were not moving faster with this DeVoe storyline, or maybe that's on purpose or probably on purpose, but it feels like we're getting literal breadcrumbs to the rest of this story. Like they are just slowly but surely finding all the metas that are a part of this, this bigger thing that's happening with DeVoe and not really finding major solutions for DeVoe, which... Again, you know, this is a series. They got to they gotta space it out for the finale. I mean, we got a little bit more headway with Wells coming up with his new think cap to help him speed up his thinking and try to get on par with DeVoe. But that's pretty much it. At the very end of the episode, though, we find out that he's figured out who the missing, other missing metas are. There's two left, and he drops names, Janet Petty and Edwin Goss. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with that? Are they also going to just get zapped up really fast? Is he going to is Barry going to be able to turn them to Team Flash? And even if he does get everybody to turn to Team Flash, how's that really going to stop Devoe? More questions. Hopefully, we get some answers. I will be in interested to see if this all gets wrapped up by the finale, or if they're going to stretch out this this villain into the next season. So we'll see. Uh, and unfortunately. The Flash is going on hiatus. I feel like it just got off of hiatus not too long ago. It probably did just get off of hiatus not too long ago. But again, we're like really getting strung along here in regards to this story. It's not a particularly meaty season, to be honest, but I guess it's better than nothing. I, you know, I guess it's better than that. And the previews for next episode do look pretty decent, so... Here's hoping. Here's hoping that when it comes back April 10th, that we get to see something pretty interesting. I think that's about two-ish weeks from now. So here's hoping. Here's hoping it's something good. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it for The Flash. It wasn't particularly heavy. It really just was like, ooh, Iris has powers. 
Let's see what happens. And that was pretty much it. That was pretty much it. So I will be moving on to Black Lightning, one of my favorites, right after this. All right, moving right on into Black Lightning. Okay, so I feel like DCTV wise, Blackning was Black Lightning was the clear runaway winner uh, in regards to story. Was it overcrowded still? Yeah, yeah, yes it was. But you know what? I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt because a like I keep saying, it's a mid season show, so they got to cram a lot of stuff into like technically a half season, whereas they you know they can space out a little bit more with the other shows. And B, even though I feel it's done its job in wowing us and securing a second season, it may have also already secured that season. But I understand that in the writing process, they were like, we don't know if it's gonna secure the season. So we need to make sure that we can put as much information into these episodes as possible. And that's definitely what they do with this uh, last episode. So my biggest takeaways with this episode uh, is that finally, Family Lightning is forming. Uh, you know, I was, we been waiting for Anissa and Jennifer to get powers and it took a sweet time getting these girls to that point to get these powers and we get our first team up like father-daughter team up with Jefferson and Anissa trying to clear Black Lightning's name I liked the setup I like that he was trying to be very stern and realistic with her like look this is not a game you need to take it seriously otherwise people can get hurt and I also love that you know on a few occasions she was able to show him that she's definitely capable of doing that and even looking out for him in the process. So that was really cool. That was awesome to see. Uh, I also liked that Jennifer's powers have finally come to fruition. Although I have, I have more questions. Like why wouldn't they have turned on when she saw her boyfriend get shot? Wouldn't that have been an, a climactic episode for her to, to surge? to power, but whatever, it's her friend. The catalyst is her friend nearly falling off a ladder and her powers awaken and she singes the little poster she's got in her hands and totally breaks her phone in the process. And it's very sparkly. It's very Jubilee-esque with like the, the singeing and the sparkle power that she's got going on. Uh, I also found it interesting that unlike her sister, she tells a family member pretty, pretty soon after she discovers she's got these abilities which is nice, but I also wonder if that's because they need to make up for time. Like we can't also have another family member who's waiting weeks to discuss it with somebody. So I kind of I kind of like that we're, we're not gonna get this long drawn out thing and that she immediately, well, close to immediately was like, Anissa, something's going on. I don't know what's happening with my powers, but I've got some now. So I, I like that. I like that she goes to Anissa to find out what's happening. Um, we also get a little more about Gamby. Gamby is definitely tied to some to the agency, whatever that is. And I loved that Lynn figured out that Gamby had secrets that he wasn't telling Jefferson. She didn't know anything about him being a part of the agency, but she knew something was up and that Gamby was tied to the active component of this drug that's on the streets right now. And, you know, she thought she figured out that it was too much of a coincidence for this component to just surface at the same time that Gamby comes to town. And then we get a little backstory on it. And they very much are taking it from history. There's a little bit of, uh, you know, the syphilis experiments on the Tuskegee people, unfortunately, or the Tuskegee experiments. There we go, for syphilis on black people. They're also taking some, uh, talking about the crack epidemic that hit in the 80s and how that, how that was introduced into communities and what the actual intent was. 
are, is it rumored? Maybe actual intent uh, of, of what they thought it was going to do and what actually resulted in that. So I liked, I liked the touches on that, the, you know, taking, taking notes from there. That was pretty cool. And I like that Gamby actually told Jefferson was like, all right, so here's the deal. I'm busted. This is what's been going on. This is why, you know, I've kind of got integrated into your life. Jefferson took it as expected. Not well. Technically, the man that, that raised him after his father was brutally murdered might have ties to his father's murder and also has been lying to him for decades. So, you know, I mean, there wouldn't be a quick forgiveness turnaround for anyone. No one's going to be like, what? All right, well, we're cool. Like that no, wouldn't necessarily happen. Uh, what else is happening? Uh, Lala is back and for some reason alive. And I don't know if he's crazy or if he has a power. Does he have, is he crazy? I, I Again, I didn't do any research to find out if he's actually in a, a comic book character or not. So I definitely need to jump on that on some point. But hit this whole side trip we got with Lala and how like the woman that he murdered before he was died, before he was killed, before he was died, before he was killed, you know, keeps popping up. And at first I thought, oh, maybe it's related to his power like maybe she's a conscious of it a consciousness of his and then we get the episode and she is like i mean i guess in some kind of term she is a consciousness but she seems to be like a a, a wild consciousness of his like she's not trying to steer him in any kind of right direction it's very much like a self-preservation consciousness of don't trust no one we're the only ones that you know can trust that you can put trust in, like us. It's we we've got to look out for ourselves. And even like we got a whole shower scene where like she shows up in the shower, and they get like kind of lovey dovey, and he kisses her, and then she turns into the spirit smoke and goes back into the tattoo. Is it in his head? Is this part of his ability? I have a thousand questions. And that's really all we got from Lala. Like he's trying to make his way back in. Tobias is out right now, you know, probably dealing with all the loss he just recently incurred. And uh, and to, and poor Lala's trying to piece together everything of like, how, how do I get everything back on track? Hopefully we get some more information. Black Lightning is one of the shows that is coming back next week. So hopefully we'll get, you know what? I don't, I'm, I don't mind a crowded episode because even though we get a lot more questions, we do get some answers, so. I'm looking forward to that and seeing what's going to happen next week. I am hoping that before the season ends, we get a Jennifer, Anissa, and Jefferson team trying to figure out what's going on and facing off against either Tobias or Lala or whomever. So fingers crossed that that's what's coming because, we, like I said, we're, we're getting down to, to almost finale time. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. And yeah, that's pretty much it for Black Lightning. Right after this, I will be transitioning into The Magicians. So stay tuned. All right, so The Magicians also came out this week. And uh, okay, so The Magicians credits, they, t they pick up right after they left off. So we also are still getting like breadcrumbs of story, but... We got some, we got some resolutions in this episode. So my biggest takeaways uh, with the magicians for this last week uh, was, uh, what the heck are we doing with this fairy slave narrative? Like, what's, what particularly is going on with this? With this, when they first introduced it, 
it was a heavy eye roll for me because I didn't I didn't know where they were going with this and why did we need to include this? And then they were trying to say that, oh, it, it relates to, you know, how people are are scrounging for magic right now because magic doesn't exist right now. And this is another way for people to kind of tap into it. And then we get like an even longer backstory. So uh, we find out that uh, these fairies made a deal that was this was a huge twist, but these fairies made a deal way back when in ancient times with an, with an old magician family in order to save other fairies. They were like, all right, we're going to bind ourselves to you, uh, I guess forever, you know, so that they could not go after these other fairies that didn't make this agreement or this deal. It was weird how we got to this conclusion. I liked the twist in that it wasn't it's, it still was human magician's fault, but uh, that it wasn't like a, their idea. I liked that twist, that these fairies had a hand in their own demise and that they were pushed to their limit. They were pushed to the brink of not existing at all. And they were like, okay, well, in order for some of us to survive, some of us have to take, take, take the loss. So here we go. Um, it was interesting. It was interesting to see how that all went down. I love that they teamed up with the fairy queen, Julia and Fen. Teamed up with the fairy queen. Fairy queen is still one of my favorites. I love that she just doesn't care. And the story they have around their experiences with humans is terrible. It's terrible. But, you know, I love that uh, Julia helps them, you know, without anything to gain on her end, even though she still gained something. But whatever, we'll get back into that. Uh, I also love that Uncle Edwin was here. So we can introduce to Uncle Edwin, who is, I want to say her name is Kate McAllister. I'm too lazy to look up the name. But the <laughs> this lady who's been in the show for some time and who Julia cured not too long ago, she has an uncle named Edwin who is in charge of the, the leashes, the collars that they put on these fairies. And he says that he's the only one that has a machine to take it off. So, you know, once it's on a fairy, it's on forever. And as we all learned, this is what stops them from doing magic. It's what prohibits them from doing magic. But you know what actually does it? Or was it the deal? It might be the deal that prohibited him from doing magic. It may not have had anything to do with color whatsoever. So those things are happening. So we, that's when we found out the truth of everything. Like after they bring the fairy queen back and they do their research on what exactly this machine is that removes the collars and find out that it's just a decapitator. Hilarious. Um, that's when everything goes down and we learn about the, the original deal they made and, and how to get out of it. I found it interesting. The only way for them to get out of it was for them to break their word and that the fairy queen was hesitant to do it because the repercussions were going to be crazy for her people. But she gets put into a corner where she has to do something to help save her people. Otherwise, they're just going to keep being made into these drugs to be used and snorted. And she does it. She decides to make that risk and break the word. And the fairies get out of their collars and take their revenge. I'm not going to lie. I quite enjoyed their retaliation. I found it very telling that all of the McAllisters were gathered in one room when they went and did all of this madness. And the story behind them getting all of the McAllisters together was that they were uh, discussing the latest business deal they had just made in regards to them making this magic powder. And uh, yeah, fairies got their revenge. Although one survived though, I wanna say her name is Kate. That McAllister lady survived. She managed to 
block an attack that was coming towards her. She was smart enough to duck under the table as the stabbing began. And then she makes it out of that house. So it'll be interesting to see what the consequences are of letting her live. Now that the fairies have broken their word. And now that this lady who knows a lot about magic is in a desperate place right now. So that's what's happening with Julia and Fen's storyline. And then we also got uh, some more stuff about the quest. Alice, Quentin, and Josh team up for, you know, find the next key. They're looking for the sixth key. There's a lot of back and forth between Quentin and Alice as to what her true motives are. He knows something's up and she's definitely not spilling what's going on. And then finally, she she gets put into a corner where she's got to. Quentin's just like, listen, what the heck, what kind of deal did you make with the library? We know you did something. So what did you do? And I still don't think she told him everything, but she was like, well, you know, they want magic back. I'm just help. I told them about the quest and they want me to help you. And that's all that's happening. Quentin's like, mm, okay. Alice has proven time and time again that you cannot trust her, that she's very self-serving. I wouldn't doubt it that that's not the whole story, that that's only half of it. So that's happening. Um, Josh actually comes in handy. He hid uh, weed all over Fillory. So he's able to tap into the ma the magical weed that he had that lets him see all kinds of stuff. And uh, he figures out where the next key is, but we don't really get to see what that means or how they get it or if they get it. So that's kind of where we leave them. They're in Fillory. They're about to get the sixth key and try to figure out how to get it done. Oh, we find out where the seventh key is. That's in the fairy realm. That's the trade-off that Julia gets after making her, well, was it, was it a deal? More like a conversation she has with the, the fairy queen. After the fairy queen, like, you know, gives her all these accolades about how, <coughs> excuse me, she's one of the few humans to help them and not ask for anything in return. But then she still gets gifted with something in return, which is the knowledge of where the seventh key is. The catch, though, is that if they go and get the seventh key, it might be the end of the fairies entirely. Like, their whole existence hinges on this key, kind of staying put. So, we get that information. Um, what else happened? So, we also got Penny being a sanctimonious prick. That was interesting. Penny, you know what? A lot of Penny's little side stories, as much as I want to root for him, as much as you want to root for anybody on this show, they're all spoiled brats who are so self-serving. Alice isn't the only one. Quinn's the same way. Julia definitely was the same way in the earlier seasons. You know, Elliot, Margot, all of them. All of them are like that. And But to the show's credit, and just like they did with this episode, they do a great job of showing them getting knocked down and figuring out how to move forward. So with Penny, he just starts out, you know, basically pouting. He's pushing this book card around, playing this victim uh, with a deal that he made. He made the deal with the librarians in the first place. He signed off willingly on this ridiculous billion year contract to serve the librarians in order to help Katie with something else. And we find out that... um. It might be part of Penny's destiny to be where he's at. We see Howard again. Howard was a librarian from a, another episode uh, who got tricked into holding a cursed book in order for them to like get into something else and get, get more information on a, another quest that they had been on. Penny tricks him into holding this book and Howard dies. So now he runs into Howard in this, this kind of like underworld purgatory type area. 
Howard schooled him. He was, Howard's trying to be nice. He's like, hey, you should join my book club. Penny is Penny. And he's immediately like, no, fuck you. And he's like, why should I do anything for you? And Howard's like, well, I feel, you know, you kind of owe me since you killed me kind of deal. And Penny tries to brush it off like, no, you killed yourself. And Howard's quick to be like, but you gave me the book, the cursed book, which is what was the catalyst for everything else that happened afterwards. And Penny has no response other than just to leave. And then he's having, you know, his issues with the chick that double-crossed him. And we find out her reasons, which was just to see her family again. But Penny rolls his eyes at that. And then Penny sees an opening. He figures out that he could probably trick somebody who's trying to move on into taking their place. For whatever reason, in this version, wow, when you move on, you get a Metro card to jump on like a pig subway of some sort to take you to wherever you're supposed to go in the next part of your afterlife. And Penny, of course, wants to skip that line. He sees his opportunity. He shakes down this poor guy. Another thing, he completely has no regard for these people that he's sacrificing at all. So he basically talks this dude out of moving on to get this card. Hades pops up and I was excited. Yay, Hades. Hades is the god of the underworld, if you know your folklore. And I love that he kind of called Penny on all his shit. He was like, look, you are ridiculous. Like, I've never seen somebody who tries so hard to rail against their own destiny only to completely embrace it. Like, what, what are you doing? What is happening? I also love the quote he threw out there. Like, you know, you're so super, you and your friends are so super worried about magic not returning. Spoiler, magic returns always. It may not return as fast as you want it to. And he basically says, like, you know, it might be a millennium. Your species might be nearly extinct before it happens. But it's going to happen. And he basically says that uh, magic is a carrot gods use to keep humans in check. That is super true for this show. That is absolutely true for this show. It's exactly what they do to make these humans do things against their will or against their better judgment. They they basically, it's, it is, it's a driving force for them to get this magic. I just thought that was hilarious. And I thought the timing of the statement was perfect. Hysterical. So more Hades, please. Hopefully we get more Hades. But basically he like, he like really lays it out for Penny. He's like, listen, you can keep fighting it. Use that magic card, try to get out, take your chances, whatever. Or you could stick around, join Howard's book club and really take advantage of the fact that you were in a library with nearly all of the knowledge in the known world around you. The choice is yours. Penny decides to go ahead and stick around, gives the metro card to the chick that betrayed him. And uh, that's where we leave him. He joins Howard's group and he's, he's eating the cupcake. So hopefully we get more information as to why this book club is so important. And hopefully there's something going on with these cupcakes other than they just look really fancy. Like maybe they open more knowledge or something. I'm interested to see where that's gonna go. Elliot and Margot are having their own little side quest after the boat just took off and started flying. It turns out that, you know, they were able to free themselves and now they're worried about Fillory. They learned from Quentin and Alice and Josh that Fillory's at war with the Lorians and the Floaters. And they're quick to blame it on Tick. Here's the thing. I kind of agreed with Tick, as I said in the last episode. I agreed with him with what he was saying, how like these people, these entitled humans from Earth just came straight into a new land and decided that, yeah, they should be the ones who run it, knowing nothing about the people or how to help them or even thinking beyond 
how to help these people. Like they just thought about their own immediate needs. So I found it interesting that they were like, oh, you know, we leave the tick for three seconds and now we're at war. This was a war that was already brewing. Like this was a war that they narrowly stopped when they were in power. They would have been in these fights in the first place. The Lorians, especially like, Margo was supposed to marry the son of that guy. And instead she like played with his emotions and then just totally tricked him. And then again, she had to hold him hostage thinking that he was trying to do something when all he was trying to do was warn her and treated him terribly again, again. And then with the floaters, we knew they only had one thing on their mind. Like even with the fairy deal that was going on or whatever, they wanted to take over Fillory. That's why the mom was so intent on having her son marry Margo in the first place. These weren't things that just sprung up because they're no longer on the throne. These were these were in process to happen already. And then we get we get them talking to the king and queen of these you know opposing kingdoms kingdoms and trying to come to some kind of like mid ground. I kind of bought their explanation for everything. They're basically like, wait for us to get magic back, and then we'll deal you know with these consequences afterwards. Because you know you don't want to be the one be on our bad side once we get magic back. Like that was basically their whole intent and statement as well. So, I mean, it's it's a magician's. It's probably going to hold over for right now. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it blows up in their face because that that's what this tends to do. I will say that Margot's use of a, a mossy pimp bitch in regards to the Queen of the Floaters is not going to be my go-to phrase for just just craziness that's happening. Just FYI, I'm going to be throwing that in everywhere. Hilarious. But uh, but yeah, that was pretty much it. We each got, they all got their side stories. It didn't really move the quest too much far further. And uh, I think we are getting another episode for next week. So, But they talk about how there's only three episodes left. So it'll be interesting to see how they tie this up and what the, exactly they're going to do moving forward. But yeah, but yeah, that's pretty much it for The Magicians. Uh, after this, I'm going to get into the shows that I caught, like Love, Simon, and On the Block, right after this. All right, so Love, Simon is a film that was released just last Friday. Yes, last Friday. Uh, and it's a rom-com. And what makes it stand out is that it's from the perspective of, of a gay youth, of a gay boy who is struggling to come out of the closet and... Uh, he finds out, you know, through like an anonymous secret app that somebody else is also struggling to come out of the closet. And it it's the catalyst for him to to kind of get on this new journey of his self-discovery. I thought it was the cutest thing I'd seen in a while. I'm a sucker for the rom-com. As you know, from the main, many Asian dramas I talked to you guys about, a lot of them revolve around romantic comedies. I just love this this idea of of people finding other people and, and the relationships that spring out of that. Uh, with Love, Simon, there was a lot of comedy, which was hilarious. And a lot of, a lot of things that were cr crazy relatable. Who wasn't a teen trying to discover things for themselves only to be massively wrong about a lot of things and, and trying to cope with that and bounce back from that and learn from that. The, the story is intriguing. And I know it's making a lot of waves and it's become a pretty big deal because it's one of the first ever mainstream movies. It's about a gay teen. Kudos, kudos to you. 
I, I'm hoping this is going to lead to more diverse perspectives in rom-coms. Rom-coms need to come back, uh, definitely for the LGBTQIA plus community, but also just for diversity in general. I'm hoping that this is going to lead the way to even more stories about different people just trying to find love. I mean, that's, that's universal. Everybody can relate to that, I'm saying. But I really did love it. I love that. Uh, okay, I hope I'm saying this right. I want to say it's Keenan Lonsdale. Kanan? Kanan Lonsdale? Oh, oh, I know. Here we go. He plays Wally West on The Flash and now Legends of Tomorrow, and he plays Blue. So, again, Blue is the uh, the anonymous poster that Simon comes across. And one of the things I really loved about the movie is, like, he's trying to put the face of this voice that he's been, you know, reading about and learning about all through emails. And it Blue takes on a lot of different personas, but Wally is one of them. Kanan... Kanan is one of them. And I loved that at the end of it, he was the guy that was behind all those letters and they kind of fell for. And they get the cutest kiss at the very end on the Ferris wheel. It's adorable. I highly recommend it. It's a quick watch, actually. It's pretty, it moves pretty fast. It's not too, it's not, it's not crazy or slow or anything. I think it moves at a pretty decent pace. The writing's pretty decent. If you get the chance to check it out, definitely check it out. It, it's it's adorable. It's going right up there with the rest of the teen rom-coms that I've loved, uh, including Never Been Kissed. So, yeah, that's probably uh, telling you a lot about me. But whatever. I loved it. <laughs> it was great. Also, shout out to the people in my theater who uh, made this movie. There was like a row of kids who were watching it. And all of their commentary was matching my exact thoughts. And they were just highly entertaining. They weren't super rambunctious they weren't you know completely talking throughout the whole whole movie but it, w- it was nice it was a nice commentary that they added on and i thought it was hysterical but yeah so definitely check out love simon it's it's pretty pretty clear cut it's your average rom-com setup just with you know with boys and it's it's adorable so check it out uh, i also got to catch on netflix on my block netflix dropped a teen series called on my block and uh yo the show brings a lot of realness to it. So it's, I want to say like 11 or so episodes. They run really quick. They're like maybe 30 minutes each. It's about these group of kids. It's about, um, well, it starts off being about like this girl and her three best guy friends. Like they're all coming up in the hood together. They're in South Central LA and it's rough. It's a rough hood. There's gangs everywhere. One of their besties is he's part of a legacy of, of gang members. His whole family is in a gang. And eventually it comes to the point where they want him to be in that gang too. And he makes the decision to go ahead and do it because he feels like he has no choice basically. And we get to see how they're, how they're trying to survive in this, in this hood that is dealing with a lot of violence and a lot, a lot of shootings, you know, back and forth, but also, there's this innocence about it, like their their first loves and their first hookups and and how they're trying to navigate all that and and deal with parents and deal with school and each other and it it's amazing, it's amazing, and it's told from such a diverse set of kids. It's mostly Latinx kids and black kids. That's it, which is a first for me i've I've rarely seen these stories without there also being like basically a white person who works as our entryway into this new life. Usually it's like a white kid who just moved into the area and we're learning about everything. These kids are all established in this, in this hood 
And it's pretty easy to pick up where they're at and where they're going with things. If you get the chance to check it out, check it out. It's a quick, quick watch. And also, uh, I need season two to uh, hurry up and get here because that cliffhanger, whoo, yo, that cliffhanger. Like I said, they bring the realness. So the gun violence is definitely a part of the storytelling in this series. And it comes to a head with that finale. We get to a head. There's a quinceanera that comes up. The girl's dress is beautiful and things go down. Like we, the things that we thought were done or that were resolved tend out not to be done at all. This kid in particular is from a rival gang. He's after one of the leads from the, you know, the crew we've been watching. And in, in the, and the buildup to this is that this kid from the rival gang is the catalyst for a lot of the events that happened to this one other kid who's in the gangs. Uh, he comes after that kid first and like threatens to like put him down. And then as retribution or retaliation, the one of the, the main kid from the, from the gang that we've been learning about, they tell him that he's gonna go after the rival gang kid. So he goes after the rival gang kid and he's trying to find alternatives as to, to not kill this kid, but all those alternatives are dead ends. And he finds himself faced with the decision to kill this kid or not. And he decides not to, he decides to stay, take another path and he tells this kid to disappear. This kid does not disappear and this kid shows up at the quinceanera and the kid tries to kill him. Unfortunately, it doesn't reach him at all. After he shoots, his friend gets in the way and, and the poor girl who's, who's the quinceanera is for gets in the way of this bullet. Like the, it's crazy. Two kids go down after this ridiculous event occurs and we don't know if they're gonna survive it or if they're gonna pass or what? There's also like a Goonie-esque storyline with like a hidden buried treasure that's in the hood, apparently. Way back in the 80s, again, gang members were part of some heist that went down. And before they could spend the money they stole, they died in prison. But the money got buried somewhere, waiting to be found. And no one's found it for years, for all these decades later. And, and they try to figure out what's going on with that. And the finale ends with them possibly finding it. So I want resolutions, I want answers, and I'm hoping we're gonna get them soon. But you know, it, it's Netflix also, so. But the show is amazing. It is called On, um, I'll keep saying On, yeah it is, On My Block. Real quick watch, if you get the chance, definitely check it out. But uh, that's about it for Kirby Geeky Fangirl. All I did was finish up the Asian dramas I already talked about with last week. I told you I was watching them very slowly, so I just finished them. And I'm still ringing, reading the same mangas. I'm still reading Red River. I'm still in the middle of Skip Beat. You know what? I came to a, really, to a brutal realization about Skip Beat. I thought that my local library had the full series because there's 20 volumes at my local library. So I was like, this must be the full series. No, no, it was brought to my attention that, uh, that uh, mangas can run 50 to like 100 plus in series. So I am nowhere near the middle of this book series. So that happened. I'm still gonna try and read as much Skip Beat as I can and then figure out how to read the rest of them as I go along. It's worth it, I feel. These, these books are very interesting and all over the place. So it'll be interesting to see where those books go also. But uh, yeah, so that's what's going down. We'll figure out what's happening with the next week that comes up. 
Uh, I'm excited for movies that are coming out. Ready Player One is coming out on the 29th, which is still about two weeks away. And after that, shortly after that, it's going to be Infinity War. It's going to be here. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see what else is going to be coming down the pike. What else we get to watch and, and freak out about. But as always, I am Joe, the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. You can find me at curvygeekyfangirl.com. Like I said, I'd love to hear your guys' perspectives on this interesting week of TV we got, especially with the shows that I talk about. You can hit me up on Twitter. Use that hashtag CGF recaps if you want to talk about it. You can hit me up on the Anchor app. And if you leave me like a little, little voice message that Anchor lets you do, I can post you on this podcast so everybody else can get your perspective as well. But that's pretty much it. That's a wrap for me. I will talk to you guys later.